0: Well, good morning, friends. How's everybody doing this morning? Hopefully you all had a good weekend and uh, ready to face another week here. Uh, so I have prayer requests uh, right out of the gate this morning coming from Helene. Her brother-in-law has passed away. He'd been fighting cancer and uh, apparently he has passed away during the night. So we want to pray for Helene's older sister, uh, who lost her husband for Helene, who lost her brother in law. So we just will stop first thing here this morning since there's a prayer request first thing in the morning and we will pray, Father, that you would bring comfort and that you would bring an awareness of your presence, that you would bring strength. Uh, that you would bring your love and your peace into the hearts of this family with this loss of this uh, husband, this brother-in-law, perhaps father, grandfather. Um, Don't know all of the different relationships that they may have, but Lord, we do pray that you would bring comfort to those who continue to live on this earth, that they would experience your tenderness, they would uh, experience your mercies, that they would experience your compassion. Uh, We lift them to you. And Lord, even as we do that, I I also pray for another fallen serviceman who uh, passed away over the weekend, something we probably won't hear about, but um, something that was tragic in that it was a suicide. Uh, So we pray for that man. His name is Doc and his family with the loss of their son uh, who uh, lost uh, his battle with PTSD. So we lift them to you and pray that you would bring comfort to that family in the midst of this uh, unimaginable grief. Now Lord as we begin to look into your word in the the stuff of life, like the stuff that we're praying about here, and and others in our listening crowd who uh, are going through deep difficulties within their lives, Lord. uh, Changes of direction, changes of plan, um, and lost investments of time, and all those things. Lord, would you be so near and so real to them? Uh, in In the midst of what they're going through, Father, so you know the struggles that each person here has, you know the uh, concerns for loved ones uh, who battle with with substances and things. Father, that you would uh, you would strengthen their hearts this morning through your word, strengthen all of our hearts through your word. that is our prayer in Jesus name. Amen. well friends, we are in Luke chapter nine this is our third session in Luke chapter nine picking up at verse eighteen now before this uh, just to highlight some of the things that have taken place uh, already in this chapter we had uh, Jesus sending out the twelve the first sending and and compared. Uh, Luke 9 and Luke 10 with the sending of the 12 and the sending of the 72 or the 84, depending on how you read that in Luke chapter 10 and what Jesus' instructions were for them. Uh, we noted the feeding of the thousands of people. The headings usually say 5,000, and many will tell you that they believe that that is feeding of just uh, of, of 5,000 plus the counting of just 5,000. Uh, but the, in reality, there were probably more like fifteen to 20,000 people who were fed. Jesus fed them with a few uh, small fish and a little bit of bread. And uh, they had 12 baskets full in the end down at verse 17. That's how far we've gotten. And so we pick up at verse 18 and we read these words. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, He asked them, Who do crowds say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others, still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. Jesus said, But what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, You are the Messiah you are the Messiah, you are the Savior sent from God, you're the Messiah. That is Peter's conclusion. Now, I I want to just draw out from this in verse 18 something significant for us to consider. Jesus was praying and private disciples were with him. Now I listened to a fine, fine, fine message yesterday, but I, I don't agree with the conclusion that was reached on one point. Um, however, I I also appreciate much was said, and I learned quite a bit uh, uh, in the sermon yesterday from my one of my favorite pastors, Jacob Santos. It says once when Jesus was praying in private. So here's the private prayer taking place, the importance of private prayer, the importance of pray, uh, pulling away to be specifically focused upon prayer. It says he had his disciples with him. He was modeling for them how to pray. So he's praying, and then he, he says in the midst of the prayers, who who do the crowd say that I am? Now, I just mentioned this point that uh, maybe I don't have the same conclusion as, as my favorite pastor as my personal pastor jacob uh i have maybe a little bit different conclusion because the statement was made that we should you know we should only you, you can't pray while driving down the road and I, i'm not quite sure that that's totally what he meant to say because i pray a lot when i'm on the road because i'm on the road a lot and um uh, first thessalonians uh Chapter 5, verse 16, I believe it is, tells us to pray continually. Well, if I take that to heart and I also make application of uh, what Pastor Jacob said yesterday, then that would mean I wouldn't do anything else. I wouldn't work. I wouldn't fix my car. I wouldn't uh, order heating oil. I wouldn't write notes to people because if you take the conclusion uh, that you should only pray uh, when you can be, and I, I'm not. I, I'm pretty convinced that isn't completely what was meant. But I, I thought about it, I, thought, I don't agree with that. And, and uh, this isn't a pick on Jacob thing. Not not at all. I love Jacob. I, I learned from his message yesterday. I, I was so blessed yesterday because our church uh, voted him in as the official pastor, and uh, with, you know, one abstention. There was one no vote, and it actually was his own vote, because he said, I can't vote for myself. Um, so I, this isn't pick on Jacob, I just want to say that, but Jesus modeled praying in the moment. Uh, Paul talked about praying continually, and uh, uh, but I do think, and I do agree with this point, there is the need of pulling away for seasons of prayer and this is one of them uh this this is one of those seasons when when Jesus pulled himself away and not only himself but he took others with him so I mean what can I say about prayer I mean one is I think there there need to be times of secluded personal us and god only prayer I think that that is a necessity I also think that there's the necessity of getting together with with the, Small groups of people for the purpose of prayer. Uh, I think that uh, you can be praying and weaving in and out of conversations, like Jesus does here in verse 19, because he's praying with them. It says once and he was praying in private, his disciples are with him, he asked them who do the crowd say they am. I mean so he weaved in uh, he, he weaved into uh, prayer. And then he weaved into a question, uh, and and maybe we back out. One of the, one of the delightful times that I had uh, years ago, Wendy and I had. Uh, we were taking Cliff and Helen Gall. Cliff had been the pastor of a church over in Searsport, and uh, the 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 full gospel church there in Searsport, and he needed uh, rides to Brewer because he was having. Uh, radiation treatments uh, five days a week. So a number of us pastors said, hey, we will drive you and Helen up to your appointments. And I mean, it didn't, the radiation didn't take long, but but every time we'd take him, we'd be driving along, talking, and next thing you know, they're praying out loud, verbally, for somebody that lived in such and such a house and drive a l- little bit further and they're praying for somebody else. Um, friends, I, I think prayer is, is us learning to talk with God Frequently, I think that is prayer. I, I think prayer is lifting up our burdens to God. Uh, I think prayer is lifting up needs to God. I think prayer is asking God for direction. I, I think that prayer is asking God for strength. I think that prayer is is all of those things. I, I do think that we need to uh, have set-aside seasons to pray but I also think we can be praying in the midst of living our day. That That is walking with God every day. And uh, I, I think if I said that, I'm pretty sure that Jacob would go, yes, I agree with you. But, but to his point that he was driving home, uh, Martin Luther, in fact, the, the quote actually it goes a little further. I think Martin Luther said that on an especially busy day, he prayed even longer. So he would give himself to the first three hours of his day to prayer. Into the scriptures, into being with God, and and uh, if I recall the quote correctly, he said on especially busy days he would give himself an extra hour of time with God and time to prayer. Um, so there's all kinds of things we can take from the life of Martin Luther there, uh, and that is one. I just want to underscore praying. I want to underscore how important it is that that. We learn both private, what, what some would call closet prayers, where we go into a private place, us and God alone, and pray. Uh, I want to underscore the, the necessity of what we read here, the text of prayers with other groups of people. I mean, that could even be online. I mean, one of you could say, hey, I'm going to start a Zoom call every week at noon on Wednesday or something and say, "I'm uh, anybody wants to join or invite some people to a Zoom meeting, and every week on Wednesday, you stop at noon to pray. I mean, you, you could do that without having to travel anywhere. Um, there, but then also learning how to weave prayer throughout our day uh, all the time, talking to God, being in this constant communion with God. That was the point of Brother Lawrence's uh, biography, uh, Practicing the Presence of God. And again, a great little book to listen to or a great little book to read, but learning how to practice the presence of God. uh, Such a great, great thing uh, that you, that we can do. So verse 18, I've I've gotten that far. Once when Jesus was praying in private with his disciples, praying in private, his disciples were with him. He asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? So he gets into the question now. So there's the prayer, now the question Who do the crowds say that they am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist. Uh, And John the Baptist has now been beheaded. So they're saying John the Baptist come back from the dead. Others saying Elijah, because it's prophesied that Elijah would return. uh, And still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. So some are saying, conjecturing, it's a resurrected prophet. And then he asked this question, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And that would be a great question for me to ask you. What about you? Who do you say that Jesus is? If if someone pressed in upon you and said, look, I want you to tell me five things about Jesus, what five things would you tell them? Could you tell them five things? I, I, I'm pretty certain that every one of you could be... Um, could could give five things. Could you give ten things? Could could you could you talk about Jesus for ten minutes? If someone asked you, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? Now, Paul uh, not Paul Peter gives a very short answer here, verse twenty. He says, "The Christ of God—that is who you are. You're the Messiah. We believe that you're the Messiah. We believe that you are the one that God has sent. Do you believe this, friends?" Do you believe unequivocally, absolutely, that Jesus Christ is your Savior personally? Yes, He came to be the Savior of the world, and that can lead to a conclusion of something called universalism. And universalism is a belief that He, that everybody is saved because God is just that loving, which I, I I I reject because I believe the Scriptures. In fact, I don't believe or the Scriptures do reject that notion. He is the Savior to all who call on him. He is the Savior to all who believe in him. He is the Savior to all who, who choose to follow him. Uh, is that you? Is he your Savior? If he is not your Savior, I encourage you today, in this moment, right now, to, to acknowledge, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Lord. You are the Savior. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Lord Jesus, I choose to follow you. Make that the decision, the direction, the decision of your heart and the direction of your life today. Be in agreement with with Peter's conclusion. You are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, here's the confession. Peter gives this confession. What confession would you give? What is your testimony? What is your story? Uh, Every week. There should be something that we're learning about God, learning about our relationship with God, learning about ourselves in relationship with God that we can share with other people to point them to Christ. Are you prepared? Are you prepared to give a word of testimony? Are you prepared to tell someone how you came to faith in Christ? Are you prepared to tell someone what God is doing in your life in the midst of struggle? Uh, Are you prepared? Notice I didn't say how God delivered you from all of those struggles, but how God is at work in your life in the midst of the struggle. Are you prepared to tell someone, look, things are tough, but I'm trusting in God right now. I'm trusting in Christ specifically. Peter gave this confession of Jesus and for us to be in the place where we give a confession about Jesus. Now, here's, here's a confession. The very next section, he gets into talking about uh, the cross. And there's a couple different times within this chapter that uh, we'll talk about the cross. This is one down at verse 21. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone who he was. Or to tell, he strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests of the law. He must be killed and on the third day raised to life. I mean, it, this is pretty clear. He's going to suffer. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be killed. He's going to be resurrected. It's all there in one verse, Luke 9, 22. And he told them, Look, don't be telling people this. Don't be telling people I'm Messiah. And partly the reason he's saying don't tell them I'm the Messiah which is what Peter had just said is because their expectation of what the Messiah would be and God's expectation of what the Messiah would be were not the same. The people expected a Messiah who would deliver them from Roman oppression. That's what they expected. They they expected a political difference. Does that sound familiar? I mean, we're looking at this year, it's election year. We're looking for a change in but you know what? There's not a savior. Let's not look at some presidential candidate as being the savior because he is not a savior. Uh, not at all. Um, Jesus, however, was. And he's saying, don't tell people about the Messiah because they're going to link it to political ends. And I'm not here for political ends, I am here for salvific ends, for the salvation of of mankind to make provision that that everybody who calls on the name of the Lord by faith in me will have salvation. That's what made him the Messiah. But when he's telling them, don't tell people that I'm the Messiah, it's because he's he's not wanting people to convolute the idea that he's here for a different purpose. He was here specifically for what he talks about in verse 22, to suffer many things to be rejected by the elders and chief priests, uh, and to be killed, and on the third day, raised to life. He is now telling them this, and a couple times within this chapter, he will tell them about what is coming, so that they're not surprised, so they're not caught off guard. And he says to them these words, sorry, he, says, uh, uh, he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Now, Uh, Most believe that this is an allusion to the very next thing that will happen in this chapter. That they will see the transfiguration uh, as is laid out. But again, verses 23 through 27, what is Jesus inviting us to? Some would say, well, believe in Jesus and have your sins washed away and get to go to heaven someday. Those things are all true. But notice what Jesus says, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, and take up his cross, how often, daily, and follow me. What areas do we need to deny ourselves? You know, Are, are there things in our lives for which we need to deny ourselves? Um, are there, And it isn't just denial for the sake of denial. It's denial for the sake of holiness. It's the denial for the sake of benevolence holiness and our, our personal righteousness, benevolence in that perhaps uh, when we deny ourselves it's because we're doing good for someone else and denying ourselves something to take up our cross. And we, we can have a variety of crosses that we have to bear. Usually a cross is related to our suffering for Jesus. However, some of you have the cross of uh, unfortunate circumstances you've just gone through. Rather than heading on down to the bar and drinking your blues away, you bear it as a cross. You bring it to Jesus. You bring your suffering to Jesus. Rather than wallowing in your pity and in your depression, you take up that cross and say, Lord, I'm going to follow you with this pain that I now bear. And different ones of us, I know, in our listening audience have a variety of different things, a variety of areas in which we've chosen to deny ourselves or which we need need to choose to deny ourselves and to take up our crosses and to follow him even in the midst of heartache and struggle and suffering he says in verse 24 whoever wants to lose his whoever wants to save his life will lose it whoever loses his life for me will save it then he says what good is it for man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his very self I, i like the word soul better Forfeit his own soul. I just like the sound of it. And I have to go back and see what the actual Greek word is. I don't have that pulled up here. Yet we can gain everything this world has to offer and yet lose ourselves. We can gain wealth. We can gain power. We can gain prestige. We can gain uh, nicer vehicles, fancier clothes, newer furniture, bigger houses, all those things, and yet forfeit our soul. He says, don't chase the things of this world. Chase the things of the kingdom. What good is it for man to gain the whole world? And and certainly in an American capitalistic society, we we live on the edge of that. I mean, it's called marketing. It's called capitalism. You know, we, we go out and buy stuff we don't need just because we can While there are brothers and sisters around the world, and sometimes it's just trinkets of stuff that we buy, while there are brothers and sisters around the world who are hoping to have uh, a daily meal, Uh, who are hoping to take care of trusting God to take care of the orphans like Santhus. Santhus is celebrating his, uh, I think he said 18th anniversary today. So those of you that are friends with Santhus, uh, send him a greeting, send him, say, hey, we go to his Facebook page and uh, congratulate them on their, maybe it's 17 years moving into 18 years, but to congratulate them. And there, here's an example of somebody living for the kingdom without much and uh, a place that, you know, if we could create the right systems to, to get aid to them, uh, that's what we would do. Because they're they're not trying to gain the whole world. They're trying to give away the kingdom to people. Then in verse 26, when you think about giving it away, it says, if, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and in the glory of the Father, and the glory of the holy angels. Now, the word glory is not in the text there. However, um, if you follow through the, the way that it is written, you would see the glory of the Son, the glory of the Father, the glory of the holy angels. So don't be ashamed of him when he comes. Don't be ashamed of him today talk about him today tell others give confessions so we see we see crosses uh, we see confessions that we would confess him profess him to other people why because of our encounter with him and, and there's an encounter and I guess I'll I'll stop there for today we will pick up on the the encounter tomorrow uh, and perhaps finish out chapter nine tomorrow because I' am already at the end of our time, He gives them, and what he says in verse 27, some are standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. He knows what is about to happen. He knows that uh, some are about to experience the transfiguration. So, they'll experience a wonderful thing. Further proof, further, further cementing their confession that he is the Christ. So, uh, a prayer request here at the end of the hour, uh, in this half hour, uh, share that with you, uh, Fran. Fran sharing a prayer request and a struggle from within their own family, a heartache. I'll share with you. Uh, we lost our nephew Larry Littlefield Thursday. So please keep his family and your family, uh, Fran, in prayer during your time of grief. So Lord, we, we lift yet another in, in this context of this 30 minutes that you would bring comfort, uh, to a family that is grieving and sorrowful, that you would, uh, show yourself to be the God of all comfort who is near in sadness and in sorrow. And in grief, that you would show yourself as the one who empathizes with people in their sorrow and sadness and grief, specifically thinking of the extended Littlefield family. Lord, would you bring your presence and bring your comforts in their time of sorrow and grief? Lord, we look to you this morning in Jesus' name and we say, Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. Friends, I will see you again tomorrow. Have a great day.